You're listening to audio from Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. For more information, go to cbcsavannah.com. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Let me read a passage, do something a little bit different today. You know, it's my first sermon of the new year, back in. Um, So let me read quickly, just Nehemiah chapter 8. As the people were hearing and responding to the word of God, Um, And I'm going to ask you guys to kind of get involved with us a little bit on this. This will be fun. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. For he was above all the people. And he opened it and all the people stood. Just like you guys are. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen. Amen. And they lifted their hands. So lift your hands. Some of you Presbyterians, it's going to be hard for you. I know. Okay. But you're all right. And it's a way of just their, their picture, their posture of receiving. And they bowed their heads and they worshiped the Lord with their faces on the ground. And you skip down. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly. And they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And this is the heart of, of, of just reception and, and God speak to us. So bow your heads, close your eyes. Um, and let me pray. Keep your hands up. Lord, we want to receive from you today. And we, some of us feel really weird right now, and that's okay. They need to feel weird. Because we trust that your word will speak to us. It is your word. It is perfect. It is pure. It is holy like you are. And so I ask that right now as we open it, as we study it together, you would speak to our hearts through it. This is not an easy passage. And so we just, I pray your people would be receptive to it. I pray your spirit would move. I pray you would use me, a sinner, to proclaim perfect truth to your people so that we may build your church, Lord, so that we may see us equipped for every good work, so that we may love you and our affections may be stirred towards you. Only you can do that. Fall fresh in us now, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks. You guys can have a seat. Put your hands down now. Don't get excited. All right. Again, glad to be back. If I would open this, this sermon saying, have a seat. You dirty snakes. (laughs) Who told you pagans to come to church today? Not not exactly a great opener. But that is the text we're going to look at today. That's how the sermon that we're going to study today starts. And it gives you a little bit of an indication of this is not an easy text. We're going to be wading through some hard stuff this morning. And and Mark, I I mean, uh, Tim, I don't have my slide thing, so you're going to have to run it today. I don't know where it is. So, um, we're, we're wading through some difficult stuff. I'm not going to yell, but it's not going to be easy for some of us. But here's what I want you to see. At the end of our passage in verse 18, 
Here's what, here's what John the Baptist, here's what he's going to close this passage. With many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. All right, this is a passage ultimately about good news, even though it's going to be hard for some of us. So as we wade through this stuff, you need to understand that ultimately, even the hard passages are for your joy, that God is for your joy, that, that Luke is for your joy, that, that Jesus is for your joy, that John the Baptist ultimately is even for your joy. And sometimes to get to that joy, we've got to wade through some hard waters, you bunch of nasty snakes. All right, so, so we're going to jump in. We have been in a series, we're in the seventh week in a series in the book of Luke, seven of I don't know how many, we'll figure it out by the end. But what we've seen and what we've been tracking so far is we've had two families, right? We've been tracking two different families, two different miracle babies, one from a couple that's got one foot in the grave and one from this blue collar young teenage couple from Nazareth. And we've been tracking along with them, both miracles, both have a purpose, one to save the world. One is the one who will prepare the way. And we're going to zoom in today on this one who will prepare the way for the Messiah. And we're going to see his entire ministry summarized in 20 verses. Who Jesus says, the greatest man, the greatest Old Testament saint, greater than Moses, Abraham, all these guys. His whole entire ministry is summarized in 20 short verses. And ultimately, he's got one job. His job, prepare the way. Prepare the way. Preparation. And, and preparation is not a glamour job. Like everybody when you know, when my wife says, let's paint a room, which is often, and I hate painting. And if you like painting, you need to leave this church. <laughs> but, but, and she sees that, and she's got these artistic art major, you know, she sees, oh, I'm going to put this furniture and these things. She sees the end product and it's glamorous and beautiful to her, but she doesn't like the preparation because no one does because to get to that end result guess what I got a tape I got a caulk I got to fill holes I got to sand I got to put stuff I got to move furniture all of this preparation work and it stinks and it's hard but that if it's going to look beautiful in the end you got to do it today we're going to bring out the sander and the caulk and we're going to fill some holes and it's going to hurt, but if we're going to get to that finished product, preparation is necessary. And, and, and we're going to jump in and see what John says, right? And we've, we've talked about from the beginning that this book, that the point, that the theme is that, that Jesus is appointed for the fall and rising of many. That he will be a divider, ultimately, and you will fall on one side or the other. And that is no more evident than today. And the topic that John the Baptist is going to really prepare our hearts with, the topic of repentance. Repentance. So we're going to talk about it. We're going to see what it looks like, why it's important, all those things, as we're in Luke chapter 3. Uh, so we're going to cover the first 20 verses. Um, and this is one of those few passages, y'all, at least portions that makes it into all four Gospels, which is very rare and means it's, it shows that how important it is that God will kind of include this, this idea of John the Baptist and who he is four times in his word. All right, and so let's pick up in verse one. Last week we saw Steg, he kind of taught the, a passage. Jesus was 12 years old. This passage takes place 18 years later. All right, we got a gap of 18 years that, that both John and Jesus were living in obscurity, and now they are about to go public with their ministries. John first. So, verse one In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, 
Pontius Pilate being governor of Judah and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis and Lysenius tetrarch of Abilene, not Texas. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of the Lord came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And so we got all these names, and the point is this. Remember, Luke is detail guy, and so he's letting you know this is real history. You got Herod, you got Philip, you got all these people, you got all these kings. This is really happening in a real time, in a real space. But ultimately, at the end, the key is that the word of God came to John. That is a Old Testament language, happens over 200 times in the Old Testament, where a prophet has the word come to him. John, at this point, is living in obscurity in the wilderness. He's living this organic, hipster lifestyle. He's wearing camel hair, he wears a leather belt, and he eats bugs. Okay, so very kind of healthy guy, and he's been very private, and now he's about to go public with his ministry. And so verse 3. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He uses the Jordan River as his base, and he's just going around with one main message, summarizing two main words. Right? This is this preparation. This is the sanding. This is the caulk. Wax on, wax off. That's Mr. Miyagi for you. What is it? Two words. A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Two kind of churchy words, right? Baptism. Repentance. Baptism comes originally from the textile world, the word. Very old word, but it literally means to dip or to immerse. And so they would take a piece of cloth and they would dip it into a dye or into a bleach and it would literally immerse itself in it and it would take on that when it comes out, that color or whatever. That's ultimately what the word means, to dip or immerse. And John is taking people in the Jordan River. He is not sprinkling them. He is, he's immersing them. How do we know? Because it says he was baptizing at the Jordan because there was enough water there. If he just needed a cup full, he could have been anywhere. He could have got a water gun and be like, you're done. Psst, you're good, right? But he is immersing them. He is dipping them. Why? Not to wash away their sins. This water in the Jordan River actually had a reputation to make you dirtier rather than cleaner. And so it wasn't anything magic. It was an external symbol of what was going on internally in people's hearts. They would come to him and he would dip them underwater as a picture of what was going on in their heart. What was going on in their heart? Repentance. And repentance in its simplest thing, its word means just to turn around, to change your mind. It is a 180. I am turning from this and I am going to this. That is repentance. And so what they are doing is they're making a public proclamation. I am no longer going to live like this. I am going to make like this. I am turning my back on this and I am turning towards this. And that is what he is calling people to. That is what he is, his whole entire ministry is dedicated to, to get them ready for Messiah. And this is exactly what the prophet said would happen. Verse 4. It is, as it was written in the book, in the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness... Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked shall become straight. The rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is, in the Greco-Roman world, they get this right away. The image is, is clear to them. When a royal king would come to town, they would fill all the potholes in the road. They'd kind of make the road straight. They would kind of make it nice. Why? Because the king was coming and they wanted everyone to kind of line the roads. So that's the imagery here. Getting ready for a royal visitor. Back in 2011, I went to Kiev, Ukraine. 
And I'd been many times before, 08, 09, 2010, and I used to get off the airplane, and we'd be like, it'd be like the old, olden days when you kind of have to walk on the runway and walk 150 yards, and it would be like a bus station. But when I got there in 2011, it was like this brand new terminal, and technology everywhere. And I got out outside the city, and there's all these new highways and new restaurants and new hotels and all these things. And I asked my translator, I'm like, what in the world is going on? Last year I hear this place is like, it was like the Soviet Union. It was like Call of Duty Modern Warfare. And now, it's like, he's like, next year, Euro 2012 gets here. And for most of us ignorant Americans, that's a soccer tournament, all right, because we don't know. But the, the, all of Europe's eyes were going to be on Kiev, Ukraine, because these soccer teams were going to come in. They're rebuilding the stadium and rebuild. They built airport, a whole terminal just for this soccer tournament that lasts like nine days. Why? For the world, eyes of the world is going to be on them. And so they're getting the path straight. That's the idea. What John the Baptist's job is to level out the roads, get people ready for the Messiah, right? To prepare them and to turn them. And so he jumps in. We kind of get like a snapshot of his sermons, verse 7. All right, this is like an early first century MP3. He said, therefore, to the crowds, you brood of vipers. Now, in seminary, they teach you in preaching classes, that in your opening illustration, you need to get the audience. Like, grab them, bring them in. Like last week, Steg, with his, you know, C-plus sermon, <laughs> mocked the staff, right? Well, you know, th- that, that was his image, right? Okay, so he brought you in. Well, this is a way to do it. You brood of vipers. Who has told you to flee from the wrath? And, and what you find out from the other Gospels is that all these people come to see John. All these folks. But it's not just, just the regular folks. All these religious leaders that the Pharisees were actually sending kind of like Christian spies. The Levites, the priests, the Sadducees. They're sending themselves, these people out to kind of check on John and see what he's doing. And this is the holy people now. And so when John sees these holy people, this is the religious rite. He says, hey... You, you bunch of snakes, who told y'all to come? And they get the imagery. They know their Bibles. This is like the Christian, you know, uh, kings of the world. They always go to community group. They're always tithing. They talk a good talk. They never miss Sunday. That, that's this group. And they get the illusion from Genesis 2 where who came as a snake? Satan. Sounded like the church lady a little bit. I didn't mean that, right? But (laughs) Satan came as a snake. And so he says, you are a a brood. You are the children of snakes. He's calling them the children of the devil. Right? Again, welcome, CBC, you satanic people. How are you doing today? That's, That's the idea. And they're looking around thinking, who, us? You're talking to us, right? We got funny hats on. We got big collars. We read our Bible. We tithe. You want us to repent. You want us to get baptized. Because baptism, y'all, was not a Jewish deal. I mean, they had ceremonial washings. But the only people who got baptized were Gentiles who wanted to become Jews. And so he's telling the expert religious dudes, you need to get baptized. You need to repent. And they're thinking, you crazy. We're Israel. We are the top dogs. We're the good guys. I mean, there's no wrath for us. There's no, there's no judgment. We're the good guys. And, and, and he says, no, no, no. God has talked to me, and he told me to tell you, Mr. Funny Hat Guy, you need to repent. 
and you need to be baptized. Right? Why? Verse 8. And, and there's a key word in the Greek text that's not in our English translation, some of them. That it, it's the word therefore. And I don't know why the English translators kind of smooth it out. But, but it says literally the wrath that is coming, therefore, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. That's very kind of wooden and kind of Christianese. But the idea is this, and I think the New Living Translation actually summarizes it well. Go to the next slide, Timmy. Prove by the way that you live that you've repented of your sins and turned to God. He's saying, you, you, want, to, you want to talk the talk. I, I don't care about your talk, Mr. Funny Hat religious guy. You want to prove that you are a follower of God? Then let's see the fruit. Let's see the repentance. That, that's what matters. And he's not saying that the way you live removes your sin. What he is saying is... The way you live proves whether or not you have had your sin removed. That's what he's saying. I got this tree on the back deck. It's called a Meyer lemon tree. And last year, if you would have came out to my house, and I would have said, that's a Meyer lemon tree, you would have said, I see it. Because it had all these lemons. It's beautiful. We made like three glasses of lemonade from it, right? <laughs> it's like nine lemons on the thing, right? This, but if you came over to my house this year and I said, look, you see that? It's a Meyer lemon tree. You'd have problems. You know why? Because there's no lemons. And there's a little tag on it. You can go out and say, oh, it says Meyer lemon. But you don't really know it's a Meyer lemon tree. Why? Because it got no lemons. See, the lemons prove that it's a Meyer lemon tree. And without no lemons, I don't know if it's really a lemon tree. It could be a fake lemon tree. What, what John is saying is the way, you, the way you respond to sin proves who you are. All right, if, you if you are truly a follower of God, you will turn from your sin. It doesn't mean you won't sin. It means you will reject and you will continually turn. It is the proof of being a follower of Christ. Not what you talk. Don't give me your talk. Don't give me your holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. He said, that, that's great. Right? But I, he said, this is the fruit of it. And he knows what they're thinking right now. They're still struggling with this whole thing. So look at the verse of verse 8. They're thinking... But we're from Abraham. We're from Abraham. He says, don't even begin to say to yourself. This is like a mom saying, don't, don't you even go there. He says, don't even begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. He says, if God wants to raise up these stones and make them new Abraham descendants, he could do it. He doesn't need Abraham. Right? And what they're doing is saying, but look at our cultural connections. We have Abraham. We're Jewish. He's, we're the chosen nation. Wrath's not for us. It's for everybody else. That's for all the bad guys. Right? And, and we would say, we, oh, no, we don't do that. We don't go to, oh, my dad is Abraham. Here's what we do do. But I go to CBC. Uh, uh, my dad was a pastor. My grandfather's in the ministry. I'm in the community group. I tithe. I'm part of Young Life. I go to BSF. I'm a Metho-Anglican Bacterian, whatever. I think I covered all of you there. That's, that's what we do. And he says, that's brood of viper talk. And then he changes the metaphor, verse 9. Look what he says. Even now, and I have that circled in my Bible, even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. This is judgment language, y'all. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit, bear good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. He says, judgment is coming. When Messiah comes, he's, he's going to bring judgment. Fall and rising. 
right? And judgment is not just for the bad guy. Judgment is not just for the bad guy down on River Street at 3 a.m. stumbling on St. Patrick's Day. Judgment is not just for the guy that's stoned out of his mind, you know, rocking a mullet and listening to Guns N' Roses. Judgment is not just from Hit- for Hitler. Judgment ultimately, and this is where it fits for us, is for the unrepentant religious guy. I'm religious, but unrepentant. That is where judgment is. The person that says, I'm a lemon tree, but there's no lemons. That's what he says it's coming for. Right? You see why John the Baptist got killed, by the way, pretty quick into his ministry? Okay? Didn't make it very long. Made it about a year. He had a year pastorate. Right? And this is, look, this is controversial. This is the hard talk. This is the tape and the caulk. But here's why it's necessary, y'all. This is why he has to smooth out the road. Because if people do not see their brokenness and their sinfulness, then why do they need a Messiah? I mean, really, if you are not broken and sinful and under judgment, then why do you need a Savior? You don't. Now, you might need some some Jesus that you've put in your own mind to make your life great and make everything happy, happy, happy. But that's not why Jesus came. He's unto us a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Jesus came to save us from our sins. And if you don't see your sins, then you won't see your need for a Savior. This is why repentance is absolutely necessary to seeing your need for a God who is going to judge sin. And I get it that it's not popular to talk about in a day and an age where people don't want, you know, it's want to be tolerant and accommodating and it's your sexuality, it's your money, it's your life. Yeah, we don't want to talk about this. The idea that a God who judges sin is not popular. I get it. I get it. It wasn't popular then either, by the way, because he, he died a year later. And by the way, they killed the one who was the most loving, humble, gentle person who ever walked the earth, Jesus Christ. So it wasn't popular then either. But here's, here's the problem with the person, and, and maybe you're here, and I understand it, and I'd love to take you out to lunch, and I'll pay. All right, well, the church will pay. <laughs> and if you're like, hey, I don't get the whole idea God judges sin. Everybody ultimately believes that God judges in some way, whether you believe he judges sin or not. Because everyone's going to say, well, God lets in the good people. Right? He's not going to let in Hitler, because that's bad. Because he's always our standard of wickedness. Hitler, and then there's, I'm somewhere in the middle, and then there's St. Teresa, right? right? But, and maybe, hopefully I'm over the line. Everybody believes God judges in some way because we're believing that Hitler's not getting in. And we're believing that, well, God is going to evaluate good versus bad in some way. In some way, for your, in, in your mind, God is a judge. Whether it's based on sin or, ba- you've, you've made him out as some kind of a judge. And so the question is not ultimately, then is he a judge? Is what is his, his judgment based on? And I'm telling you, Ultimately, is this. Are you going to trust in what he has done and his finished work? Or are you going to trust in your greatest efforts? Because I know myself on my best day, and you can ask my wife, and she will tell you, she will not hide. That if, if I have to get in based on what I have done, I am, I am in big trouble. So I would much rather trust in a judge who will judge sin, but also is the one who makes the payment for my sin. And that's what you got to wrestle with a little bit. But here's where John gets super helpful for us and super practical in verse 10. Because the crowds are like, okay, what do we do? What are we supposed to do? What does repentance then look like? And he's going to answer that. And and for most of us, if I said, what does repentance look like? Our first answer would be very churchy. He'd be like, well, I got to pray. I got to go to accountability group with my coffee buddies and we kind of share and talk. Or someone says, I'm sorry. Right? I'm sorry. Tell your brother you're sorry. Sorry. 
love you, right? Okay, he's repented. That's not repentance. I mean, it's fine to pray, and it's fine to say sorry, and it's fine to, to have accountability group. But when, when John's asked, what does repentance look like then? You're going to tell him. It had nothing to do with praying. It had nothing to do with saying sorry. It has everything to do with turning. Turning. Because if my wife says, honey, I've asked you a thousand times to take out the trash. Please, take out the trash. Sorry. I'm going to coffee on Tuesday morning. I don't take out the trash well. Sorry. Lord, help me to take out the trash. If I don't take out the trash, it's not repentance. This is not, it's not a change. I'm talking about it. I'm sharing about it. I'm praying about it. Repentance is a turn. And so what he's going to say is, here's what repentance looks like. He's going to be very specific. He's going he's to tailor it to three specific situations. Right? And the beauty of this, repentance for you and you and you is going to look a little bit different. It's going to be custom made for you. If this is your struggle, this is your temptation, this is your personality, it's, it's going to be tailored to your deal, whatever it is, whatever your sin, whatever your struggle. Because at, at the heart of it, repentance gets to the core issue, to the idol of the heart. So he jumps in in verse 11. He deals with the first group. And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. Whoever has his food, has food is to do it likewise. A tunic, for lack of a better term, is your drawers. It's your undies. It's, it's the modern day thing that is closest to the skin. And I'm not saying application for you is to go share your underwear with people. That is not the application for this morning. That is weird. But it, this, this in that day was a very unique piece of clothing. It was for you. It was very expensive. And his point is, if you have two of this, you only need one. So give it away. And the idea would be, if your issue, maybe you're Mr. Materialistic guy who's got to have this many cars and this many this, and your bank account and you're checking it every day and you're looking at your retirement and you're always worried about money and you're always talking about stuff and, you're, and stuff is your deal. You, that's your idol. You know how you repent from that idol? You know how you see fruit from that? Is you give it away. It's just going the other direction. If my idol is this then I'm turning around and I'm like giving it away. It is a way to fight your idol. That's what repentance looks for like that guy. Next verse, verse 12 and 13. Tax collectors. You know these guys. These are the bad guys. These are the stormtroopers. These are the, the wicked guys who, who, in essence, were hated by the Jews. Why? Because they sided with Rome. And then Rome would say, here, collect $50 for taxes. And then they would say, okay, I'm going to collect 100 and I'm going to keep 50. All right? So he's going to deal with them. They're, they're like... Teacher, what should we do? Right? He says this. Y'all are, are, are snakes, typically. You're liars and you're cheats. Everyone knows it. So, collect no more than you are authorized. If Rome says 50, you take 50. What are they doing? Rebelling against the idol. Okay, I'm not going to cheat. I'm not going to cheat my employer. I'm not going to cheat these people. I'm going to be above board. And so maybe you're in a, in a business situation where you can, you know, there's a little gray area. Right, a couple thousand here, a couple thousand there. Well, can I write this off for my company, or can my can my boss pay for this? I mean, I use this pen at both places, or maybe it's TurboTax. Yeah, I think I gave about that. We round up in our family. And what he's saying is, if that's your temptation, be above board. If you have an issue with being five minutes late to every meeting, you know what repentance looks like for you? Show up ten minutes early. That's what repentance looks like for you. If you're always like checking your phone and YouTube and Facebook, 
at work and you're stealing from your employer because that's what it is. You know what repentance looks like for you? Leave your phone in the car so that you're not tempted. That's the idea. You're rebelling against the idol. Next group, soldiers. Soldiers asked him, what shall we do? Right? And their reputation is to be abusive, to be harsh, to steal from people. And he said, don't exhort money from anyone. By threats or false accusation, be content with your wages. He says, stop being harsh. Stop being abuser. Stop being a dictator. And maybe you're this abusive, harsh dad. And you're always telling people what to do. And you're always sitting on the couch while they're doing it. Maybe repentance for you is instead of saying, go up and clean your room, kid, is to go up and help them clean their room. Instead of, of yelling and, and being harsh, it's being patient and gentle. Rebelling against the idol. And again, you could take this to like extremes. You're a millennial. You got lots of millennials. Your rep, right or wrong, probably right, is that you're entitled, lazy, right? That you don't work hard, that you don't appreciate anything. If that's the culture's picture of you, you got to rebel against that idol, y'all. And I think we got some great millennials, by the way. But you got to rebel against that. So if, you're, if your rep is just that you only play Xbox till 2 in the morning, maybe you should sell the Xbox, if it's that you're lazy and you just don't, you know, you do whatever, maybe you should get a second job or be willing to do menial tasks at the office and volunteering for everything. It's rebelling against that idol, right? Or you're middle school or high school and everyone's, oh, high school kids today have no respect. High school kids today don't appreciate anything. High school kids today, they're sneaky. And so maybe what you can do is next time you take out mom's minivan and she's always yelling at you how you leave Taco Bell wrappers in your car, that you actually take it to the vacuum place and kind of just give it a quick $1.50 over. That'd be rebelling against the idol. Or instead of asking mom, hey, there's no gas in your car, did you, be, you put $10 of your own gas in the car, right, so that you're appreciating it. Or instead of being Mr. Sneaky Pants, that you're asking mom questions, that you're, you're, you're inviting them into your life, that you're doing things without them having to nag you six times, take out the trash, clean your room, that you do it without. That's rebelling against that temptation, that idol. That's what repentance looks like. Repentance doesn't look like, yes, sir. It's actually doing something. That's what it looks like for you, right? Maybe you're a critical person. You're always telling people what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong. See, repentance for you is to hush and maybe start being an encourager and saying nice things, right? You got some kind of addiction, food, alcohol, prescription drugs, pornography. The repentance for you is, number one, getting rid of that, and number two, living in such a way that your, your life is an open book so you don't have passcodes on your phone, that your wife doesn't know. That, that you're not, you're not, your, your computer is out in the open. There's not strange texts and phones. There's not a double phone. There, there's, you're so open that, that you can't be accused of this. That's repentance for you. Maybe you're, you're prideful. You've got self-importance issues. And you're always the one talking. I think Steg's advice from Tozer last week was great. If there's 10 people in the room, you ought to speak 10% of the time. At most. And if you're a big talker, then maybe it's 5% that you would hush, that you would listen, and that would be repentance for you. You hurt someone, you go to that person and you say, don't make excuses, don't, well, I had a long day, that you say, will you please forgive me, that you make restitution. See, this is, this is repentance. And notice it's so relational, y'all. It's not sitting in a prayer closet begging God for forgiveness. Maybe that's a piece of it. But it's all relational. Why? Because when there's a transformation of life, it transforms the way we relate to people. Do not say, 
you love God and then you don't love your brother because you're a liar. That's what John says. It's going to change the way you relate to people. Right? That is what fruit looks like. That is what John is calling to us. That is what Jesus is calling us to. It's just a lifestyle of when, when God acknowledges this in my life, I turn. And the big E in the I chart, y'all, is this. And this is what I want you to get if you get nothing else. That the people of God, the children of God, those who call Jesus Lord, those who call God Father, cannot be satisfied with sin in their life. You cannot be complacent with it. It is saying you're a lemon tree with no lemons. Here's what Peter says. As obedient children, do not be conformed to your passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. This is what Jesus calls us to. We sang it earlier. Because our Father is holy, we are to pursue holiness. And it is not, Mr., oh, me and the boys went out last night. It was so fun. And so-and-so had a couple of too, too many to drink. We took a picture of them. Ha, ha, ha. Put it on Instagram. Isn't that funny? No, it is not. It is sad. Because he is a fool. Because whoever is intoxicated by wine, it says, is a fool in the Proverbs. Right, drunkenness makes you a fool. And, and, and we just have people laughing about our sin all across the church. And, and we, need, we need to see that, that, that God has called us to something greater. To pursue holiness. What does Romans 6 say? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? This is what God is calling us to. Right? And it's not because God is a killjoy. It's because God knows that sin, when, it, when you play out the tape, will destroy you, y'all. It will eat your lunch. If you don't deal with that bitterness, that anger, that lust, that selfishness, that greed, that deal. I'm telling you, I have seen it in my only 10 years that, that if, you will, if you will not deal with it now, it will destroy you later. And it always starts slow. It, you cannot just play with sin. You cannot take fire into your bosom and not get burned. And I'm just telling you because there's some guys right now in this church flirting with disaster. And you think, oh, it'll be fine, it'll be fun. And there's people that are holding grudges and it day by day just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And you're playing with sin. There's high schoolers that are, well, it's not such a, he's not such a bad guy. He goes to church. And I'm just, I'm trying to save you from destruction. Because look, I love y'all and I love this church. And I don't want to see you in my office or in David's office or in Kane's office or whoever's office. Six years, six months from now, just weeping because of decisions that led up to this. And I see it all the time. Right? Sin, as Ravi Zacharias has said, will take you further than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And it'll cost you more than you want to pay. And it is not meant to be debated, discussed, excused. No excuses. Well, you know what? I'm just Italian. I'm just Irish. I'm just Russian. I'm just native. Everyone has anger in their, in their head. Oh, we're just this way. No excuses. Not debated. Not just feeling bad about it. Judas felt bad about his sin. About reject. About turning Jesus in. He never repented. We turn from that which brings destruction and we turn towards that which brings joy. Because ultimately all this is a King Jesus issue. 
bottom line, who's the king? Fallen rising right now. And there will be people who will not come to Christ because they love their sin. And Jesus is the one who tells us that. John 3.16, God so loved the world. He gave his son, right? We know that verse. Next verse, God did not send his son to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. Verse 18, those who believe are not condemned. Those who have not believed are condemned already because they haven't believed in the son. Verse 19, and this is the judgment that light has come into the world. People love the darkness rather than light because their works were evil. Jesus says flat out, people will love their sin and they won't come to the light because they love their sin. And there's people who will say, well, if I turn to Jesus, then I have to give up X. And then what will we do? And it's, it's just a reality. And I just pray it's none of you. I pray it's none of you. Right? But for us as a church, we want to be lemons. I mean, not sour, but, but fruit. We want to see it. We want to, when God brings it up, we want to turn. We want to live in a way that our life, that we say, Jesus, whatever you want for me, that's what I want. Right? And this message, y'all, is resounding for them. I mean, they are, they are cut to the quick. Verse 15. People are in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ. They're thinking, is this the Messiah? And I love John. He is not only preaching humility because to repent of sin is a humbling thing, but he is practicing humility too. John answered them saying, I baptize you with water. He was mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. A couple things there. Number one, John is saying this, that the, the lowest job in the house, the lowest slave was not even to untie the shoe or the sandal of a visitor. It was, just, it was such a lowly thing. I mean, maybe you're like the, the, the just worst person in the house would untie the sandal. It was just such a degrading thing. And John is saying, you think I'm the Christ? I'm not even worthy to be the lowest slave of the one who is coming. That's how great he is. And when he comes, he will baptize with water and fire. And again, here's fall and rising, dividing. You, everyone who ever lives will be baptized by Jesus, either by his spirit or by his judgment. And verse 17 kind of highlights this. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff you will burn. Again, it's judgment language. He's going to separate the true fruit from the false, the true wheat from the chaff. All right? And, and here's our verse, verse 18. Many other exhortations he preached, good news. You're like, fire, separate, judgment, right? Burn, good news. And again, verse 19 uh, just kind of highlights this, this very personal note. Herod the Tetrarch, who had been proved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, for all the evil things he had done, that Herod had done added this him up and he locked him up. He basically, Herod marries his brother's wife and John calls him out and he throws John in jail and eventually he dies because of it. He's beheaded. But even Herod has an opportunity to repent, y'all. He gives Herod an opportunity to turn and Herod loves his sin, so Herod doesn't. But, you see, but the big question for us is this. How is this good news? Because it doesn't sound good news and it's not my favorite type sermon to preach. But it's here and I'll preach it. How is this good news? It is good news because our God is not a God who sits in the heavens and talks about fire and talks about judgment and just does nothing. That our God says, I love them, and so I am going to send my son to take the fire for them. And Jesus leaves 
the glories of heaven where the angels are shouting, holy, 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 and he is the center of attention, and he leaves, and he is born in a manger to a 14-year-old poor girl with a no, no future stepdad, and he humbles himself, and he comes to take your judgment. He's not a God who is separate. He is a God who, who condescends to us. Because he loves you and says, I will take the fire so that you don't have to. And this is John's message. This is why it's good. You need to repent, but the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is coming. And if you put your faith in him, you can experience forgiveness and freedom and life and joy. And that's, the, that's ultimately the application. If you're here and you're not a Christian, or you're saying, well, I'm a Methobacterial Anglican something. That's where your faith is, or my dad was a preacher that you need to turn from your sin today and believe in this one who came for you. And if you're a Christian already, and that's where your hope is, here's the, the application is not for us to be this, oh, it's me. We're, we, we're not Eeyore. We're not Christian Eeyores walking around, I'm oh, so sinful, I'm so, oh, I'm so wretched, God. Oh. That is false humility. It is not an understanding of the New Testament, what Christ has done. What we need to do every Sunday is, we, is when we leave, we should be on air. Why? Because we are free. If you put your faith in Christ, you are free. Uh, read this together with me, Romans 8. This is true of us if you put your faith. Let's read it. There is therefore now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. If you have turned from your sin and put your faith in him, everything you've ever done, everything you ever will done is forgiven. So I'm not saying that you have to be like, oh man, there was this kid in second grade. And I think I stole his lunch. I can't remember. Oh, Man, oh, did I have a bad thought? We're not just like introspective, always trying to find the deepest, darkest thing that we forgot to repent. If you put your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, you are free. You, will, you cannot lose that salvation. The spirit of Christ cannot be taken away from you. You cannot be unsealed by God. You are safe and secure. But as we walk through this life and we fall, the application for us is this. As God puts his finger on this, you are harsh with your wife. You need to repent of that. You, you are looking at this, watching this television show, and it is causing you to stumble in lust. You are too flirty, flirty with that girl at the office. You need to stop. You know what? You cannot handle one glass of wine. Because you end up sloppy drunk, so you need to stop. That is repentance. That is what he's calling you to. To flee from sin and to turn towards him. That's, that's what it is. And so if God is putting his finger on something in your heart today, do not harden your heart. Do not resist. Because I'm telling you, you resist, you resist, you resist. You will no longer feel that conviction of sin. And two years down the road, you will be in a place you do not want to be. Because it always starts slow. It is, Satan never takes you to the end result. He always starts, oh, it's a little this. Sooner or later, your life is blown up. And you're like, how did I get here? Do you know how many times we get people in our offices as pastors and they're like, I don't even know how I got here. I do. Not, not keeping short accounts with God. And it's not just that God is after our behavior change, y'all. What he is after is the change of our affection. 
that we see what he has done and it is a motivator. I'm not going to abuse grace. I'm going I'm to love grace. And when I fail, I'm going to cast myself on his grace because we have a God. Did you realize that our God is, is a God who celebrates one sinner who repents? That when, when one sinner repents, heaven, it's like the Super Bowl. Right? One. I mean, it doesn't say in the scripture when one pastor preaches a good sermon, the angels rejoice. It doesn't say that. It says when one sinner repents, that, that, that heaven has a celebration. That's the kind of God we serve. He's calling people to repentance. He wants salvation for all. Right? And, and, and we just want to, that's, what, that's my dream for us as a church. Like Steg said last week, that we want to be a church of people that, that people are like, they know God, but not just that they know God, because we don't want to be a bunch of robots who are Christian Eeyores showing up on Sunday morning, going through rope prayers, that we know God and that we love God. That's, that's the dream we want for our church. Right? And so we're going to move to worship and we're going to have a chance to reflect and respond. And we're going to remember the table this morning. And here's what I would say. Just what area is God right now dealing with you? And I'm talking to you teenagers and I'm talking to you 85-year-olds. What area is God trying to show you? And you're like, well, I think I'm pretty good right now. Then your area is arrogance <laughs> and deceit. Because if we say we have no sin, we are a liar and the truth is not in us. You're not perfect and you won't be. Sorry, Methodists, old Methodists. You will not be perfect until Jesus comes back. It's just the way it is. I love Charles Wesley. He was wrong on this one. That there's constantly stuff that we don't see, that you're just going to have to move towards him. You're never going to be perfect husband, never perfect dad, never perfect mom, never perfect student, not until Jesus comes back. But that's okay because we have a God of grace. And so we're going we're gonna to remember that as we take the table. And here's what I would say too. If you're not in biblical community right now, you're in danger. You are. Every, almost every single time we do a serious counseling, we ask, where's your community? Who are you, who are you with? And there's none. Every time. It is, it, it, it is a great thing to have men or women around where you can identify stuff in your life. Yesterday, four of your pastors sat in this building for two hours, repenting and confessing sin to each other. And it, it was just freeing. And it, the freedom to say to my brother... This is something I see in you, and for him to repent. And then to say to me, that is a freeing thing. It is accountability. It is, it is a relationship that you need, that someone is going to tell you the truth lovingly, and not just say, you're evil, wicked. Say, come on, brother, I'm with you, but we need to work on this. That is what you need. That's why we have community groups, and if you have it in other places, that's great. But that is the goal, because you have blind spots. you got big old holes that no one else can see. That, I mean, you cannot see, but they can. And, and when they identify it, it's a, it's, a, it's a sanctifying thing, it's a humbling thing, but you need it. And so if, you wanna, if you're trying to get plugged in, if you don't have that, talk to us. But here's what we're going to do. These guys are going to pass out the bread and the juice. And as you hold this, this pizza matzah, that's what it is. But it pictures the perfect body of Christ that was pierced, that was bruised, that was crushed so that you wouldn't have to be. The fire that is coming, it was coming for you. Jesus steps in and takes your place. And, and the juice represents the blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of sins. That it was poured out so yours wouldn't have to be. The innocent lamb of God took your punishment so that you could escape judgment and have eternal life and the glory that he deserves. What a great gift. I want that to be our motivator.
as we sing, as we remember. And if you're a Christian, I don't care what church you go to or denomination, if you put your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you're invited at our table. Because it's not our table, it's, it's Christ's table. But don't take it lightly. Spend some time, and, and guys, you guys can come up and lead us in worship, Ethan. Uh, spend some time thinking. I mean, if there's sin that you this morning, you yelled at the wife and you, you kicked the dog, and just, just come confessing sin and, and experience the freedom of Christ and the grace of Christ in our lives. Let me pray, and we'll worship through the table. And as these guys pass it out after some time of reflection, you guys take as you're ready um, as it's passed, and then we'll sing some more. Father, I just pray for your church to be humble. I know this is, this is not a, the typical Bill message, and that's okay, because it's, it's your message. It's the gospel. It's that we are broken, but you have paid our pardon, for our pardon. You have satisfied your own wrath with your son. Um, I pray for those who are here that just need to turn right now, that they are in danger. You put them here this morning. You know who they are, that they need to, they need to run to you now, before the destruction. And, and I pray for those that are just kind of being flirting with sin. Father, for those who have experienced grace, that we just be motivated even more so. Uh, as we sing, as we worship as your church, be glorified. Thank you for the cross and the resurrection.